0: Well, hey, good morning. I'm Jack, and I'm um, Bethany Northeast lead pastor. I've been away for a couple weeks, so good to see if some new faces and faces that I haven't seen for a while. I know it's been a awesome summer. I was telling a few people this morning I'm glad summer's over, but I know that many of you are not. So part of the reason for that is that means I've got two age kids, and they're no longer at home all day, So, and that's a good thing. So um, we're beginning a, a series today a new series that's four weeks long, and it's called What Disciples Do, and it's looking at uh, a few things I'll talk about in a moment. Um, and part of the reason for the Scripture reading this morning is we're going to be looking at these things we're going to be looking at, kind of our, our bigger ideas that kind of offer a framework for thinking about what it means to be a disciple, and then also a gathering of disciples at church. So, uh, But I have to set it up, I just want to kind of start by asking you guys a question, and it's going to be... Maybe you can respond to this, but what's the first, that you woke up this morning, all of you woke up, right? What's the first thing you did when you woke up this morning? First thing. What's that? You stretched. Be honest, come on. Somebody, you got made coffee? Yeah. Tea. Tea. Somebody checked, somebody, somebody over here is really honest. Check their device. At least one person's honest, okay? I know some of us aren't willing to admit that. That's okay. Anything else? Went back to sleep, yeah. You're still here, though. That's good. I mean, some of you hopped in the shower, maybe. Uh, Like, maybe you stepped outside and got the newspaper. That used to be a thing. Now you can just do that on your device. You know, you're thinking about Hurricane Irma, and you're kind of wondering what's going on. Uh, Some of you brushed your teeth. I hope you did before you came here, right? Maybe not. Nope. Okay, Sonia, thanks for that. I mean, do you know what shoe you put on first? Think about this. Which shoe did you put on first? You don't really know, do you? Some of you do, but it's not something you're thinking about. Which way did you drive here? Some of you have not even thought about that. You just have a way that you go, right? You don't have, you don't have to think about that. You don't, did you wear your seatbelt? Did you think about putting your seatbelt on? No. So here's what I'm getting at. Um, between the moment we wake up each day and then this moment, let's just say right now, or the moment you sit down at your desk, you've probably done dozens of things, dozens, in those moments before you even begin work, that are subconscious or reflexive, you just do things. We just are creatures of habit. We just do things. In fact, there's this guy named Charles Duhigg. He wrote a maybe you've read this book by him, but it's, he wrote this popular book called The Power of Habit: Why We Do What We Do. And here's what he says in the book: Most of the choices we make each day may feel like the products of well-considered decision making, but they're not. They're habits. Choices, here's the definition of a habit, choices that all of us deliberately make at some point and then stop thinking about, but continue doing, often every day. And though, he goes on to say, and though each habit means relatively little on its own, over time, the meals we order, what we say to our kids each night as we put them to bed, whether we save or spend money, how often we exercise, the way we organize our thoughts and work routines have enormous impacts on our health, our productivity, our financial security, and ultimately our happiness. Uh, so the key here is that our habits, both the good habits, there are some good habits that you mentioned, and the bad habits, possess this immense power to shape our lives. Let me give you an example from kind of the device world. They, there's this growing uh, amount, number of research that, and you've heard me talk about this before, that, that uh, device usage, whether it's a computer, you're checking email, or you're in bed on your phone, or maybe it's an e-reader, you're reading a Kindle. Device, you just past 8 p.m. at night, is having uh, dramatic effects on our health and well-being. It, it's, it disrupts your circadian rhythms. And therefore, you're not getting as much REM sleep at night. And therefore, you're exposing yourself to more uh, talk, like more illness. And, and all those down, just downstream effects are huge. They're showing all kinds of connections to all kinds of diseases just because you're on your device past 8 PM at night. And that's become, for some people, thanks for being so vulnerable, Tyler, like that's become a habit. That's a thing that many of us just do. We don't think much about it. We're just doing it. And, and and the reason I mention this and bring this up at the beginning here is that as we look at the life of Jesus and then his disciples as he shaped their life, what we see is a, is a lifestyle that's thoroughly consistent, uh, that's, that's a habitual. I mean, he's, he's a, sorry, this thing is just not the way I want it this morning. Sorry. That's a life full of habits. Um, and some of his habits like ours were just, ordinary everyday habits. Like, I'm guessing Jesus, as he got out of bed in the morning, stretched and tied his sandals on. You know, he probably didn't think much about which sandal he tied on first. And he, if there was floss back then, he was probably a flosser. Um, you know, he probably had a way he liked to walk to work. I mean, all that stuff, right? But here's, those things are not, I'm just making light of that, those things are not probably that important. That's why we don't read about them in the Gospels. They're, they're things we do, not big deal. But here's the key. There are other habits that Jesus embraced that we do have a record of throughout the Gospels. And while they're not extraordinary, they're habits. They're things he did all the time. Habits of the heart, so to speak. uh, Reflexes or dispositions of his soul. Things like going away and praying. Things like uh, being in gathered community. Things like uh, committing himself to the work of God in mission. All these things. Jesus was all about them all the time. And so specifically, as we take up this challenge, and we're going to do this the next few weeks, uh, of being and becoming disciples, if we're looking at what it means to be a disciple, and, and to, the title for the series we're in is What Disciples Do. Um, we're going to look at the habits that shape Jesus' life. And therefore, as we follow Jesus um, and join Him in mission, kind of the, the habits that really need to be shaping our lives. And, and hopefully, they'll challenge us, but also encourage us. And then in the next four weeks, there's going to be four habits that we kind of look at four G's, so really easy to remember. Uh, Jesus consistently gathered in community. So this is what we're on today. He gathered. Uh, he was committed to growth. He was always about deeper growth, never, never satisfied with where he was, growing all the time, asking God, how do you reveal yourself to me more, God? His life was a life of mission. So there was, he lived his life kind of under, you could say, one imperative, go. You know, this is his last words to his disciples, go. Uh, as the Father sent me, so I send you. So he gathered, he, growed, he grew, he goed, <laughs> And then finally, uh, I know this is falling apart already, <laughs> Jesus gave. So gather, grow, go, give. And, and he, he, was, he had a profoundly generous life. Not just resources. We think about giving and you're thinking, oh, this is going to be tied to a capital campaign in four weeks. No, his life was generous. I mean, think of his gift of his death on the cross. Just a gift. I give you my life. That's a gift. And so we're going to look at that. So gather, grow, go give. And as we unpack those, I think what, what will be revealed to us is kind of the way in which Jesus invites us to live as well, okay? So let's begin with gathering, this idea that Jesus gathered and he invited his disciples together. And we're going to look at this through Hebrews 10. I think this is a probably the best scripture that kind of pulls it all together for us. And again, it's not from the Gospels, but it's a letter later, and so you can flip there. Hebrews 10, 19 to 25, we'll just unpack this, and it gives us some ideas on what it looks like to be a gathered community, okay? And uh, let me start in verse 25. I'm going to reread that verse, so if you have it open to Hebrews 10, and then we'll unpack kind of what it means to, we'll have two kind of points today, the essence of gathering and the impact of gathering, okay? Kind of two big ideas. So what's the, what's the essence of gathering? If we're a gathered community, Jesus gathered, what's the, what's the essence of that? Why gather? And then what's the impact of doing it, Okay. So verse 25, look at this with me. Uh, let us consider, and you can throw it back up if you want, Greg. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day coming. Okay? So it says, let us not give up meeting together. I want to focus in the right there. That's this idea of gathering. And that word is actually a singular Greek word, uh, that whole phrase, a singular Greek word, and it's this word, episynagoge. And uh, if you heard, it's it's got this word in it that we have in English, the synagogue. So it's a really interesting word picture because the synagogue was a place in the Jewish faith, still is today, where Jews gathered. It's like we have the church, we have this place, we call it a church, they have a synagogue. And um, because Hebrews was actually a letter written to he, to Jewish Christians, so these were previously Jewish people converted to Christianity, Jewish Christians. The author picks up on that idea and says, it says, hey, consider how you're gathering prior to meeting Christ and being, and coming into a Christian fellowship. Consider that gathering, and then allow that, lean into that. Lean into your Jewish heritage. Don't completely leave it. So, episynagogue, uh, continue to gather in that way. Uh, rabbi Jonathan Sachs, if you're wondering kind of what's that look like, he, uh, he used to be the chief rabbi of the United Kingdom. And, uh, He has this book called Radical Then, Radical Now that I I read a long time ago in seminary. And he has this little thing in there on the synagogue. And here's what he said. The synagogue was one of Judaism's greatest creations. It sustained the Jewish people through almost 2,000 years of exile. It kept them together as the only nation ever to survive an extended period without land, country, or political power. They were dispersed, he said, throughout the world for thousands of years and yet they had this place called the synagogue. It was their, he goes on to say it was their spiritual home, their educational citadel, and their welfare center, center. And it connected them to all other Jews throughout time and space, not just those on the earth at that moment. So then he says, whenever 10 Jews gathered, that's a synagogue, whenever they gathered, they, they formed a community. And it was as if, this is what they talk about when they're gathering, the entire Jewish people for all time and all space were gathered in microcosm. Whenever they sat and studied and they prayed and they worshiped, It's as if they were back in Sinai. They talk about this in the synagogue. One million people gathered beneath the very presence of God. Isn't that amazing to think about? That's what is in the mind of Jews that gather in synagogues today. And what what this author is saying, hey, lean into, don't give that up. Don't just come to church and sing a few songs and then go away. Like lean into your heritage, lean into your tradition. It's a rich picture, I think, of what it means for us to gather and meet together. And Jesus knew that. Jesus had that in mind. So maybe that's a, a pretty quote and everything, but I want to give you a, maybe a better way or a way I thought of this week that might help you understand it. And this contrast that maybe that Hebrews, because notice Hebrews says, don't give up gathering together as some have begun to do. So some have sort of left the synagogue, right? They've kind of given up gathering, and, and they've fallen away from meeting with other Christians Uh, and so there's an exhortation here to gather, and so I want to give you a word picture that I think will help you understand why that may be happening, and that's why I have these marbles and these grapes up here. Some people ask me, like, what in the world are you doing? So we're going to go here. Just stick with me. I want to compare what we're doing right now to this bag of marbles, and I did this with the high schoolers downstairs, and you should have heard some of their thoughts, but uh, you can just imagine. This bag of marbles and this bunch of grapes. Let's start with the marbles. Think about the marbles here for a second. Um, what is this it's a it, this bag of marbles it's it's an what well, you call it an aggregation is what it is okay it's just a bunch of random glass orbs they're not I actually just literally I think no two are exactly the same they're kind of sliding all you can hear them sliding all past each other right they're not connected in any way um, they're very interesting in some people's lives very useful if you're like under ten years old uh, but but at the end of the day, especially if i don't have this bag on them, you can see where this is going and if you have kids in your house, you know what this means they they 're kind of useless like in fact i we have marbles all over our house, and like you step on them with your socks, and it kind of hurts in fact that's going to happen so so bag of marbles, uh, whereas this bunch of grapes now think about this the difference now they're they're still little orbs right but the 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 difference here is these grapes are all organically connected, all of them. They grew from the same vine. Uh, they actually share the same DNA. They, they are intimately related to each other, okay? They, you might even say, are family in a way, right? Uh, now, why, and why do you think Jesus used that analogy in John 15? He didn't call us a bag of marbles. He basically called us a bunch of grapes. He said, I'm the, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me, you'll bear much fruit. You'll be fruit. You'll be fruit. You'll be grapes. And that's how you show yourselves to be disciples. That's what it means to be the church. So he's painting a picture of what the church needs to embody, that we're, we're not marbles. <laughs> Though they're beautiful, and feel free to take some, uh, we are these grapes. In fact, uh, an aggregation is not what the church is. A synagogue is not an aggregation. It's a congregation. We use this language today. A bunch of grapes is a congregation, a community that is connected and where all the aspects of the members' lives touch and relate, and are are kind of woven together, which means on a very practical level. Let's just get practical. As a congregation, we choose to eat together. We do meals together. I was talking to someone this morning I've just met in this community. We live in this neighborhood. Let's get a meal together. Let's eat. We pray together. We learn together. We do this. This is a discipline every week. We gather. We learn together. Uh, We sometimes go away, and then our small groups talk about what we're learning. We seek to love each other fiercely. We confess our sins to each other. They're not just private. We don't keep them alone. We, we, we share those. We mourn loss. We celebrate. We intercede. We lament when there's a, like we just did this morning, when tragedy strikes, we stop. We are deeply committed to each other's lives. That's what it means to be a congregation and to be like this bunch of grapes. Instead of a, just a bunch of marbles strewn all over the room, coming in on Sunday, listening to a few words that this guy appears yacking, and then leaving without ever talking to anybody. Um, or grapes. And the reason this is so crucial, it may seem basic, like, okay, Jack, thank you. You're preaching to the choir, literally. We are here. Thank you. But the reason this is crucial is, is something I haven't noticed in Hebrews before until I started studying again this week. And I preached this book a lot. I love Hebrews. It's probably my favorite book in the New Testament. And there's this move that the, the writer of the book makes, not just in chapters 10, chapter 10, but like 11, 12, and 13 also. And it's reflected in verse 19 of chapter 10, where the author says this, we enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. And then again in verse 22, we draw near to God through the blood of Jesus. And so earlier in the chapter, this, this author is talking about the reality, if you read this sometime, that in Old Testament worship, uh, the worshipers in the synagogue could not draw near to the presence of God. Uh, God was fire, God was smoke, holy other, you, you know, remember this Sinai event? You can't go near God, you'll burn up, can't even look at God. He's unapproachable. And so in the, in the tabernacle, in the temple, or maybe in the, in the synagogue, there was this place where the presence of God dwelled, okay? And then only the, in, the, in, the, in the tabernacle, in the, in the uh, temple in Jerusalem, only the high priest, one time a year, Yom Kippur could go in there and be in God's presence. Everyone else, that's all of us, because I'm not a priest. Well, I am. We'll go down that. That's another conversation, but you are too. Everyone else could not draw near to the medium presence of God, okay? Now, that's a bummer, right? Because if you're coming here, you're probably wanting to encounter God, right? You aren't just coming to meet each other. You're not just coming to hear me talk, but you're hoping, you're hoping that God speaks to you, right? You're hoping for some word from God. And yet Hebrews says that in the Old Testament, couldn't happen. You wouldn't hear from God. Always through an intermediary. That's just a huge bummer uh, because it means that the transformation that's available to you is kind of limited. But, you know, we need God's presence in our lives. And that means, like, I deal with selfishness, right? And the only way that God's going to kind of deal with my selfishness is when I come into contact with Him. And so you can imagine that would be a really long road for me, or I deal with insecurity. And I know when I come into contact with God, those melt away. God reminds me I'm His Son. Yeah, Old Testament, that's going to be once a year. <laughs> great. Have a, have a great year, you know? Uh, and it goes on and on like that. So we know that when we get near God, it transforms us, it transforms us, it changes us. So what Hebrews says here's the beautiful part in chapter 10, verses 1 and 2 it says that this worship, not perfecting them, didn't transform them. Uh, but it says, because of Jesus, through his blood, where we're at, you can, come right into con- you can come into contact with God. You can come right into his presence and be radically changed. You have access to God. Through his blood, you can encounter God. Now, you're probably saying, great, I knew that. How does that look? I mean, how do I have access to Jesus? Here's the punchline. Verses 19 to 22, this is the move. Here's how you have access to the presence of God. Therefore, so through the blood of Jesus... Therefore, let us spur each other on toward loving good deeds, not forsaking meeting together. Do you see it? Where do you have access to Jesus? Is it alone in your closet, praying, hoping that God shows up there? I mean, sometimes. Is it up on a mountaintop? I, we went hiking, with Elizabeth and I did. I totally love meeting God up in the mountains in the Cascades. I love it. Where does, but where does God, what is Hebrews saying? Where does God, the presence of God, actually come into your life and change it? Where does it happen? Hebrews says through congregating. As a congregation, not a mere aggregation, not just strewn all over the room, but when you're connected to each other, when you're organically connected, that's how you're changed. Uh, That's the reason C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity, if you've read this book, he says this. Really radical statement. Christ works on us in all sorts of ways. But above all, above all, so he works through the mountains. He works in your in your prayer closet. He works when you're just studying in your quiet time. But above all, he works on us through each other. We are carriers, he says we are quote unquote carriers of Christ to each other. Uh, That's why the church, the whole body of Christians, is so important. Uh, And then he goes on to say it's easy to think that the church has a lot of different purposes, like education, buildings, missions, holding Sunday services. But listen. The church exists for no other purpose but to draw people to Christ, to make them little Christs. If they're not doing that, then all the cathedrals in the world, the seminaries, the missions, the sermons, even studying the Bible, <laughs> it's simply a waste of time. God became man, this is C.S. Lewis, for no other purpose. And even doubtfully says, whether the whole universe was created for any other purpose than to gather God's people together so they could be transformed. That's a, that's a radical statement if you think about it. Because there's lots of people today that say, I don't need the church. I kind of do my own thing. I follow Jesus on my own time. And what Lewis is saying, what Hebrews is saying, you cannot follow Christ alone. There is no such thing as solitary Christianity. You can't do it. That's, and, the, and the purpose of our gathering is not just so that we could kind of come together, hear a few words, and sing a few songs. It's so that we might be transformed. We, are, we have the opportunity this morning for transformation, okay? So that's why we're together. And if you're, on, if you're in that boat, if you, you're like, yeah, great, I want that. I came this morning, Jack. It wasn't just because it's, like, it's a habit, but it's not just that. It's I want more, more of God. I want to be changed, and I expect God to show up here. If you're that, let's move on to the second point. <laughs> so that's the, the, the essence of gathering. Let's look at the impact of it, okay? What it might look like for that transformation to occur right here. We're going to stay in Hebrews 10. And those are, those, the impact is kind of threefold, so we'll kind of unpack this in three different ways, okay? The first is actually, if you have your bulletin, I listed those out. Um, the, we're going to take the third one that's listed in the bulletin first. So if you're following along there, uh, this is that others would be challenged and encouraged, okay? And then we'll look at the other two. So here's uh, verse 24, 25. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. This is the congregation, the gathering, but encouraging one another all the more as we see the day approaching. So there's challenge and there's encouragement. So let's look at the challenge first, okay? There's intended to be some challenge. And this is my favorite point in the morning right here. Uh, Do you know what that word spur means? Like let's spur each other on. It's this Greek word, it's a command. Literally means to irritate each other. Let us irritate each other. (laughs) And like that, that's like me telling my son Elliot, hey Elliot, I want you to go into Martin's room and do you. Like just do you, he doesn't have to try, and that irritates her. She's 12, he's seven. As some of you have siblings, you know how this works. And just, he's just, he just is him, and that's irritating. I had an older sister, and I know how that goes. Uh, <laughs> and 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 you probably think of some churches that are very good at this, uh, but that's not the kind of irritation I'm talking about, or it's talking about. This word literally means to sharply disagree. It's not just like bug each other. It means to sharply disagree sharply confront each other. So we're being told that if you don't have some people around you in your life and here in the church who sometimes sharply disagree with you, who didn't vote the way you voted, who don't possess all that theology you possess, who look different, maybe talk different, drink a different kind of coffee. This is a big one for me. Uh, Don't drink Starbucks or do. If you don't have those kinds of people, let's just say it this way, People on your left and your right right now that are to the left and to the right, if you know what I mean, you're not only not going to become a person of love and good deeds, you're, you're probably dead in the water. You're not going to get very far in your, in your walk with God. So let's, let's spur each other on. That's number one. But number two here, flip side of this coin, let's also encourage each other. And encouragement, this is great news because it's, the, it's completely opposite of spurring somebody on. Uh, spurring is confrontation, disagreement. Encouragement is this Greek word, perikaleo. And it's the same word Jesus uses for the Holy Spirit in John 14. So the paraclete, the helper. Let's help each other. And it's actually a compound word, so it's this Greek word para to come alongside, and this word kaleo, to call. Literally it means to empathetically, sympathetically, compassionately, like put yourself in somebody else's shoes for a moment. So you have somebody next to you, you don't you maybe know a little of their story. Encourage them. Like don't just give them a high five and a hug but stand in their shoes and, and then say, I'm with you, I walk, I'm gonna walk with you in this season. Whatever you're facing, I'm facing it. Whatever you're trying to overcome, I'm, I'm overcoming. It's my, whatever you're confronting, I'm confronting. It's mine, okay? So it says, let us challenge and encourage each other. And that way, that, that's a powerful word, right? This encouragement word. Uh, really rare experience for us in, in our lives. I, I think the, I was trying to think of this this week like a time when I'd really experienced encouragement. And I'll just give you a, a real quick example of this. Like I was a swimmer growing up, and uh, as a young swimmer, uh, we would, in high school, every Christmas break, we would come back, well, college too, we'd, we'd have a week, we called it Hell Week, and we'd swim, like we had four-hour-long practices, these long workouts. And there was this one, I remember, Todd and Vicki Marsh were my coaches. They gave us this workout, uh, 100 100s, so 10,000-yard workout, and you couldn't leave until it was done. I mean, it was the worst day of my life. Here's the encouragement part. That was, that's the irritation part. Here's the encouragement part. I just remember, in, I was a sophomore in high school or something like that, and I just knew this was going to be really hard. And we're a few hundreds in, and I just know this is going to be like all day long. And there's Todd and Vicki taking off their, they had, you know, their track suits on for coaches. And they're usually yelling at us from the poolside and watching us and telling us what to correct they got in the water and did every one of those, that whole set with us. And they wouldn't let us get out until it was done. And some of us were a lot slower than the others. So there were some that got done faster and they just stayed until the very, very end. And That's a picture, I think, of what encouragement looks like. I mean, it's the opposite of spurring somebody on. It's like saying, I wanna, I'm gonna be that kind of coach to you. I'm gonna be everything you, I'm gonna challenge you, but I'm gonna stick with you through this season. I'm not gonna leave you. And this is a—it's a tough balance to to strike. It's kind of like if you—if you've ever done a hike on a ridge, it's like walking this knife edge. Like you can—it's easy to fall off on one side or the other. It's—I mean, we've been around these churches that are that are really big on challenge, right? We do discipline. We like lay down the law, right? And we're all about that. And they're often very non-encouraging, like discouraging, right? Uh, here's the thing: I don't think that's Bethany's problem. We're—we're we're not usually falling off that knife edge. We don't really, I've never, like, I don't remember a time I've done any sort of discipline here with any of you. Like, it's like, do what you do, I do what I do. It's good, right? And that's the edge we fall off. Our motto in Essentials Unity, Non-Essentials Liberty, All Things Charity. And we, we kind of love that because it sounds great, but, like, have you ever tried to apply that? <laughs> like, literally, in Essentials Unity, uh, Non-Essentials Charity, All Things Liberty, and then you get in a political discussion with somebody here or you're in a conversation about marriage and what's what's the biblical version of marriage or race or creation care or business ethics any of these conversations that might be hot topics uh, we want here's commu- here's bethany's problem we want community with people we agree with well generally as human beings we want this and we kind of want to be on the same page we want all of our deeply held convictions and views to be shared you want the pastors to promote those and I kind of do it at the same level, but this, but, and when we don't, we leave, <laughs> you know? And what the Bible, what Hebrews is saying is be careful when you're around people that just say yes to you, that just affirm all your deeply held convictions. You need to be with people who irritate you, encourage you, but irritate you, and, and disagree with you, and, and, and sort of challenge what you believe, uh, how you relate to God and the gospel which includes family, sexuality, ethics, wealth, poverty, all of life comes under the light of the gospel. And Jesus is inviting us to align our lives to that. And he's saying sometimes you're going to be encouraged and other times deeply challenged. And it's going to be the people in your life. And so fundamentally what it means to be a gathering of God's people shaped by the gospel means that we, are going to have a, we, we need to have a balanced, consistent and balanced invitation into relationship, encouragement, with a, with a mixed and robust challenge to change. I want to challenge you to change. God's put me in your life for those two reasons, invite you in and then challenge you also. And that's, that's what it means to be a spurring and encouraging church. That's what it means to gather, inviting us in, into each other's lives in that way. So let me ask you this question before we move on to the second thing here. Do you have people? Look around you right now. Just look to your left and right. Some of you are new. Just go ahead. Awkward moment. Yeah. Do you, do you, and look beyond just the person right next to you because some of you came with someone. Do you have people around you that you're actively engaged in those two things with? You're looking at them and you're saying, these are people who are challenging me and encouraging me. These are people who have asked me into their life to help them grow. Uh, are those people here? Are, are you kind of sliding in, sliding out like a marble? Just kind of a part of it, but not really related to anybody in that way. Do you have anybody you're saying, "Hey, will you share my burdens and struggles with me?" Uh, are you saying to anybody, "Hey, I'm with you. I know you're dealing with this. I, I just met you. I'm with you because I'm part of this church, <laughs> not because you've spent ten years of life with me." Do you have people that say, "Hey, let me irritate you a little bit. You know, let me just say this. Really." So let us consider how we can challenge and encourage each other. That's the first kind of application of this. The second of this, uh, and this will be a little harder, I think, is that strongholds are broken, okay? So we're called to challenge and encouragement and then also uh, to break down strongholds. So here's verse 22 of Hebrews 10. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water, okay? So hearts and bodies, cleansed, washed, okay? Which is really just to say, if you break this down, that our meeting and praying together, even our singing of songs, as we did this morning, when we do that, there's this profound opportunity for healing. Body, soul, and spirit. Bodies and hearts. Not just physical, although there is something significant here, but also emotional, relational, there's deliverance that's available to us. Uh, and To be sure, like the Bible tells us that when we gather in community, the strongholds of the enemy are broken down. So, you remember that story of Jericho, the walls of Jericho? We've done this in Sunday school, right? Did you ever do this? I think there's like a song that goes with it. Uh, do you remember what that, remember that story's about? Joshua is leading Israel into the promised land, and there's this city called Jericho. He'd he'd visited before. Remember he visited with the spies? And these people are huge. Okay. They come back. They're facing this huge city. It's walled. It's fortified. Humanly speaking, just given the people that God's given him in his army, impossible for them to overcome, to to defeat Jericho. Impossible. In fact, Jericho 6.1, or Joshua 6.1 says that the gates of Jericho were securely barred. There's no way in. This is like, you know, uh, Lord of the Rings. Like they have those big iron gates you can imagine, right? But here's what then God says in Joshua 6.2. Even so, I've delivered Jericho into your hands. It's done. And this is before they even did anything. So past tense, delivered. And then Joshua 6.3, remember this. This is the crazy part. Go ahead and march around the city for six days. And leave your weapons behind. Expose yourselves to the enemy carry some trumpets and some horns. In fact, have your priests out front, so Andrew, your team, right up front with your guitars, you know, violin, get a drum set, whatever, and everybody behind them just sing and dance. Six days. Just do that. Because I've delivered Jericho into your hands. Even though that gate is securely barred. It's the enemy of God. So you know what this is, what they're doing? Like, why, why were they marching around the perimeter of the city all day long with nothing but trumpets and drums. What were they doing? It's a worship service. That's all it is. They're doing what we're doing right now. Just they're doing it in a different context. And in that way, it's the story that's representative of this profound truth. Okay, listen. Worship, gathering as we are here today in community, has this powerful effect of just breaking down chains that are holding people in bondage, barriers that are preventing us from entering into God's promises, that are preventing us from even hearing those. Whether that's a barrier of cynicism, a barrier of, of bitterness, a barrier of, of illness, a barrier of even a demonic possession, which I know is kind of like, whoa, where'd we just go, Jack? But there's all kinds of things that, that the Bible teaches that, that prevent us, that try and prevent us from uh, freedom, from intimacy, from our sense of uh, being in God's kingdom, robbing us of our identity. And God says when we gather, those things are broken. I've delivered Jericho into your hands. <laughs> and yet, uh, <laughs> we don't do that, usually. I mean, I know. I can't remember, well, I can not remember the last time, I'll tell you in a moment. But like, where I get into a community like this, and I, and I have that mindset, you know, I've got my hands in my pocket, and then I kind of do this Bethany, like a little charismatic like that. I'm kind of like, you know, like this. Uh, I'm not really paying attention to what God's doing. I'm paying attention more to kind of my own comfort zone and what, what, where I'm at and who you are. Um, and what is saying is worship is a weapon. It's a, it, gathering is a weapon against... And here's the deal. Paul talks about this in Ephesians. Uh, it's not a weapon against... He says in Ephesians 6, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not that. And he says because of this, our weapons are not the weapons of the world in, in 2 Corinthians 10. So then he says... Whenever you gather on all occasions, no, it doesn't matter. Whenever fight darkness, oppose disease, confront isolation and shame and fear, um, take down the walls that prevent you from entering into God's promises. So let me give you an illustration of this from this past weekend. I was away with some friends, and uh, we we're at Washington Family Ranch in Oregon, and it was a kind of a, a we, this thing called the weekend. And we're at this, the last night. There's this thing. There's this talent show. Okay, all young life camps have this. So this. Uh, talent show where people got up and sang some songs and did whatever. And I'm sitting there and uh, the second to last one of these people that got up, there was like six of them that got up and I was sitting with this group from Mississippi, Jackson, Mississippi. And this, this young woman got up. I didn't know she was going to be getting up. And she's like, hey, I'm going to do this uh, like liturgical dance thing. And she had some friends uh, leading this song. And I'm like, man. Ah. Bummer, right? Because I'm not, I'm just not, that's not my thing, okay? Uh, I've got images of that. We can talk about another time from a previous church I was part of. So she, she did this, and I don't know what happened. I'm sitting right behind a friend who's dealing with some pretty big stuff, two friends actually, and, uh, and suddenly I realized, you know what we're doing? We're worshiping. And like literally I just laid my hand on, on my friend from behind, and during that time, I mean, it, for me in this moment, it was like we were just doing battle against what's confronting these friends. Saying, you know what? I, I agree, God, you've given victory to this family. You have broken down the walls of Jericho. You've delivered them from this. It's done. I agree. And so just leaning into that. And, this, you know, I did, it didn't, for a moment, it didn't matter. I was with like 500 people I didn't really know. And I'm like laying hands on this friend and this person's like liturgically dancing in front. I'm like, we have this opportunity. And then, by the way, this friend's, this friend's daughter got up right after that and led us in what I, I will just say was like the most profound uh, moment of worship I've ever had. She said, hey, I'm confronting this too. In front of all these people, a 12-year-old girl. And I've never seen such fierceness with what she's saying. So here's the thing. We have that opportunity when we gather here each and every time every Sunday. It doesn't matter if there's 60 of us here, 160. doesn't matter if it's Easter or whatever it is, say September 10th. The Bible says when two or three are gathered, there are two or three of us here, there's power. And the music matters, the singing matters, the preaching matters. It all matters. But the truth is it's, it's all about freeing us from the chains that hold us in bondage. You know, worship is our weapon. This gathering is our weapon. But here's the thing. Here's the last point I want to talk about. Uh, praising and worshiping and beca- like, all that healing and stuff I just talked about, it's not the point, okay? So I know some of you are like, I'm a little worried right now. Where are we going, Jack? Uh, we, you know, we'd be wise to not turn those outcomes into the reasons we're gathering, like saying, I, I mean, people will ask me, what do you hope that happens this morning here? And I usually say, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen because that's not my job to make things happen here uh, I believe that our job is to, is to show up God's here and 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 God will meet us and sometimes that means we'll experience things that are really amazing and sometimes you'll be like yeah that was okay which is the the, the point of this whole thing here this last point I want to talk about is the point of our gathering so that strongholds are broken but the point of it all is that the truth would be revealed okay uh, and so here's the here's the verse that i want to look at verse 23 let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess for he whose promise is faithful um, we gather so that we that promise of god's faithfulness this is articulated throughout the Psalms. psalm 118 psalm 136 what does it say in those psalms this repeated refrain god's steadfast love endures forever God's steadfast love endures forever. Hebrews is saying you gather, you rejoice because he who is promised, he who is promised is faithful. That's why we do it. In fact, there's this amazing story in Luke 10 that I think give, illustrates this. Uh, remember this, Jesus, it's one of my favorite passages. Jesus sends out 72. And he says, hey, go to all these places and preach the gospel to them. And, you know, you know, stay in their homes, eat what they have to give you. And you know that story, kind of vaguely. So they go and do it, and they come back. Let me, let me read it, because it's, what they say is just kind of funny. They come back, and they say this, uh, Luke 10, verse uh, 17. So they return with joy, and they say to Jesus, Lord, even the demons submit to your name. So they go out, people are healed. Demons, they're delivered. People are delivered. And then Jesus says this really weird thing. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven in Luke 10:18, And he says, I've given you power and authority to trample on snakes and scorpions to overcome all the power of the enemy so that nothing will harm you. However, here's the qualifier. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice in what? That your names are written in heaven. Don't rejoice in the fact that somebody here is getting healed or got healed. Don't rejoice in the fact that there's reconciliation. Those things are great. I want that. I want that as uh, the lead pastor here. But Jesus says, and what Hebrews is saying is, Rejoice in the fact that he who has promised is faithful. That's the purpose of this entire thing we're doing here. We, we come together to be reminded of this fundamental truth that God's steadfast love endures forever. So sometimes deliverance happens in community. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes forgiveness is extended when you ask for it. Sometimes it's withheld. Sometimes there's an answer to a prayer for healing. Sometimes we don't experience that. Do you get what I'm saying? But always, here's the promise, always, he who is promised is faithful. He who is promised is faithful. Uh, these friends I described I was with, um, one of them kind of gave me permission. He wrote this on his blog about… Um, about what they're facing, and uh, this is what he said on his blog at the end of the at the end of the week. Uh, over the years, uh, the best definition I've learned, we've learned, of worship is that you worship what gets your primary attention. So in this season, we're choosing to worship God to focus on Him, even though we don't want to, uh, especially when we don't feel like it. Our hope is is our hope is continues to be uh, that we're more passionately indifferent about all things except Jesus, passionately indifferent about whatever they're facing. So these days, uh, we remind ourselves of God's promises, not attempting to manipulate God or reminding God of something that he doesn't know, and somehow worshiping him reminds us of his character and who he is. Uh, Will we get healing? Maybe, maybe not. What we know, though, is he's with us, that we're not alone, that we're drawn more and more to give our attention and affection to him. That's worship. And then he finished with this. We believe that God is good. You know, we believe that God is crazy about us. We believe that his promise is true. I will be with you through all things. Uh, And then this friend says, that promise is for you. God is with you in the middle of your biggest storm, whatever your storm is right now. And so what I want to just remind you of this morning is that of this truth that God is good. He who has promised is faithful. He he knows you. Jesus says, rejoice in the fact that your names are written in heaven. He knows you. And so there's a huge identity piece here for us as we gather in community. Huge opportunity we have every time. Yes, to, to break down strongholds in each other's lives. Um, to be like grapes and all those things, but huge to say, hey, you belong. You're home. This is family. Uh, God's good. You're not alone. And so are we doing that? That's the question I have. Are we doing that? When we come in, are we saying to each other, are we leaning into our identity in Christ and say, hey, we belong to the family of God? I want to invite us to do that, and I'm going to invite us to be vulnerable in doing that this morning, OK? Uh, some of you are in need of some sort of healing right now. And I remember I said body, soul, spirit, relational, physical, emotional. It's not just one category. Uh, so I want to invite you. If that's you, and it probably might, it might be all of us, um, I want to invite you to stand, actually. We're going to invite the worship team forward. We're not going to, this isn't going to get weird or anything. Uh, I just want to invite you, hey, I've got something in my life. You don't need to say it. I'm, you're not going to say it. Just stand and say, hey, this, I'm dealing with something right now. This is family. You're home. Okay? We're grapes. <laughs> uh, so just go, I mean, go for it. Okay. Now, as people are standing, here's what I want to invite. Some of us aren't. We're like, you know, I'm okay. I'm doing good. But we're grapes. And so I want to invite the rest of us to stand with those friends, okay? And so some people are standing alone right now, and so I'm going to invite you to go across the room right now. Stand with them. You might lay a hand on them, but remember, I'm going to invite us to worship and to give our attention and our energy right now to God, okay? Not to the thing, and that's why I don't think it's that important that these people name whatever they're they're facing. To give our attention and energy, be more passionate about Jesus in these moments ahead, than about anything that's attacking our lives. Uh, we have power. We have power. We've been given power. And so I just want to invite us to really worship God right now. So that may be lay, laying on hands. Uh, it may just mean lifting hands. Uh, just being present, focusing on how loved we are by God, okay? Uh, let me take a moment to pray. God, thank you for the opportunity we have uh, To just be what you've created us to be, these, these, this bowl of grapes, uh, connected, related, dependent upon each other for life. Uh, thank you that your spirit is flowing into us as a body. And thank you, God, that your spirit brings healing, that it brings deliverance, and that it brings freedom. And so jesus i ask your spirit to flow into us and out of us just right now as we connect to each other and focus on you thank you for your love and thank you for for that verse in joshua that your promise of deliverance we know sometimes we see it fully sometimes we're we're not seeing it god but we thank you that you are good you promise to deliver us So we lean into that truth and we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's worship God.